0: Here's
1: the thing though. Mm -hmm. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of our podcast, Here's the Thing Though. My name is Saliha and I'm your host for today. I'm here with my producer slash editor, Mitch Price. Hey. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge the Bidigal people of the Eora Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land that we are recording on today. We'd like to pay our respects to all First Nations people past, present and future and acknowledge that we're recording on stolen land and that sovereignty was never ceded. So Mitch, how are you? How's it going?
0: I'm good. I've, I've had a good week. Yeah, I feel like I'm in a good mood. Uh, been up to some interesting things, you and I. We saw the new Batman movie, which was sort of exciting. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it too. I'm not really a fan of these superhero films more generally. But I came out of that one thinking... That's probably as good as a Batman movie could be.
1: Yeah, I don't like Batman. I actually kind of hate Batman and I have never enjoyed a Batman movie in my life. But I really liked that one. And I wasn't expecting to because a lot of my friends didn't like it. But I thought it was good.
0: I liked it. And again, my take may be controversial given the Nolan Batman films, but I think he's overrated. So I I stand by it. Uh, We watched Turning Red, the new Pixar movie. Yeah. Which was nice.
1: That was nice. Not what I was expecting either, actually. I feel like both of those films kind of caught me off guard.
0: And what else have I done? I also went to the State Library the other week, which was sort of fun. It's not what I thought it was. It turns out I've been going to the wrong part of the State Library the whole time because I was trying to pick up a book I reserved, and they just looked at me very confused, saying, you're in the wrong building. But other than that, that's it. How have you been?
1: Busy. Like, really, really busy. Like, more busy than I've ever been in my life. And it's been really intense and exhausting and also good in some ways. I forgot to social the last podcast episode on my Instagram because I was just like fucking slammed with things that week. I had like-
0: It's been chaotic.
1: Yeah, I had the PTV Summit, which is like a huge annual event that we do on Wednesday and Thursday that week. And I was like literally leaving the house at 7.30 in the morning and getting home at like 9 to 10 p.m. And then doing it again. And it was just- Fucked and then work was really busy and we've started implementing a bunch of new things. Some of you may have seen my face on the P T V TikTok. That's the new thing that I am begrudgingly doing. <laughs> and it's just been a lot. It's been a lot. Some of it has been good, but also I feel like I'm about to drop dead. So
0: Yeah, it's a bit like that.
1: Yeah. But otherwise, like, I don't know. It's been it's been it's not been too bad in some ways. I got to pre screen uh Bridgeton season two. I binged the whole thing like a week before its release date and Spoiler alert, it's pretty good. I quite liked it. I liked it more than I liked season one, which I don't know how popular of an opinion that's going to be, but when it's actually out, I can elaborate.
0: No one's seen it, so you can say whatever you want. Say
1: whatever the fuck I want. Well, (laughs) I actually really liked it. So for those of you who kind of like watched Bridgerton purely for the hype and didn't care, I feel like you'll like this season more. I thought it was better than last season. But also not in every way. There were some things that fell short, but we can talk about it more when it's actually out. Anyway, speaking of being really busy and wanting to drop dead, this is actually not a full episode today or even a half episode. It's a reshare because the last two weeks were wild and my weeks are still wild and we just like don't have the time at the moment to sit down and record a really long episode for you guys as much as I would love to. So instead, we're going to reshare our ecofascism episode because that has become very relevant at the moment. But we'll explain why in a second. First, let's do some follow-up. Now, I'm sure by now all of you have come across Jane Campion's very cringe comments at the Oscars.
0: No, no, no. I think it was the BAFTAs. The, the BAFTAs. Oscars is, is uh, next Monday.
1: Yes. I don't know these things and <laughs> I refuse to ever learn them. <laughs>
0: That's fair. So, for those who don't know, Jane Campion is the New Zealand director woman director, and that's quite notable, of this year's sort of Oscar major contender, The Power of the Dog, which, just to say, is a really wonderful film. Definitely, like, one of my favorites of last year, this really intense, complicated, psychosexual drama, you know, myths of the American frontier. It's all about masculinity and, and toxic masculinity, uh, very specifically. And she's been a somewhat prolific director. I think she's directed maybe eight films in the past couple of decades and has really been heralded as this important feminine voice or at least woman voice in an industry which has been drowned out by men.
1: Yeah, she's like meant to be a notable feminist. Like we're meant to trust her opinions.
0: Or if she's not directly a feminist, just her presence encourages a feminist reading being like one of the singular prominent voices in an industry and in an art form, which is dominated by typically masculine male voices.
1: And so off the back of that introduction, it was incredibly disappointing then to hear... Her very cringe white feminist comments at the BAFTAs about
0: Serena and Venus Williams. After she won, I think, her best direction prize.
1: It was a really big deal because she is a minority as a woman in this field. And when she got up to accept that award, the first thing she did was throw black women under the bus, completely unprompted, very randomly and I feel like every single person in that audience just their spine collapsed as they just like (laughs) cringed away from her it was like I actually felt like secondhand embarrassment for her when I watched it she said Serena and Venus you are such marvels however you do not play against the guys like I have to Mm. like that's how she gets into accepting an award on behalf of all women like that's how she gets up and says it Oh my God, it's so funny because the camera like literally cuts to like Serena and Venus and the fa- the face that Venus is making. Like I oh, just, man. I really felt it. Like yeah. she looks like somebody just waved something stinky under her nose and she's just like, <laughs> she's like, ew, like it's an ew face. It's very yucky, yeah. <laughs> and also like you can tell even Jane like herself in that moment just like keeps plodding on and it's like, it's real boomer shit. It's real boomer shit. But the reason we're bringing it up right now is because it's, like, really relevant to our white feminist episode. Yay old, yay old episode, our first episode. But also, we've talked about white feminism, like, you know, pretty consistently throughout the podcast. And that comment she made was just so emblematic of the thing that women of color have been talking about for ages, about, like, no matter how fucking feminist a white woman is, like, a part of you can just never fully trust her feminism to include you. And this was an example of that because, like, What the fuck has her BAFTA got to do with, like, Serena Williams and tennis? Like, literally nothing. Like, the only thing she has in common with Serena Williams is being a woman. (laughs) That's it. And yet, somehow, when she got to accept that award, the first thing that she thought to say was to, like, drag Serena and Venus Williams and be like, huh, you guys think you're doing something for women, but you don't have to work as hard as I do. Like, that's what... Her initial reaction was.
0: Yeah. Well, she saw, you know, Serena uh, and Venus Williams being, I guess, celebrated due to their, like, their story being told in that, you know, Oscar contender King Richard film, which I haven't seen. I don't really have much of an interest.
1: I want to watch it. But
0: nonetheless. Oh, yeah. Well, well, maybe we can do a movie night. Yeah. And then I don't know. she just feels this, this need to sort of say that her struggle <laughs> is greater. And, you know. <laughs> Literally. We, we were talking about it and you were like, this is just so. Perplexing, Like, I don't even really know what she's trying to say. Uh, because, I mean, what she's saying is that... Like,
1: it's so random. Tennis,
0: for example, is a field that's divided. You know, there's, like, a, a men's league and a, and a women's league. Whereas film is just this singular open field that, you know, there's no divisions. It's just men and a few select women, which is somewhat true that that's the, the case of film. But what it just does not reflect... It's just how so, like, uninformed and uncalled for those comments are. Specifically because, I mean, I feel like it'd be way harder to be a black woman in tennis specifically. In tennis specifically, like, a bougie old white man sport, a wealthy sport, than to be a white woman director. They're definitely both struggles, but it's just...
1: Well, this is what I mean where it's like, yeah, it was uncalled for, but not just that. Like, she clearly has no concept of, like the struggle of being a successful black woman in literally any context and I feel like she was trying to be like oh yeah like it's a privilege that you don't have to compete against men and I just find that so counterproductive as well because aren't you like a feminist by saying that you're actually reinforcing that the reason these women are successful is because they don't play other men like they're only successful because they compete against other women who like what are inferior in talent, like, by implying that they only win because they fight women, They're act- she's actually just saying that women are bad at stuff. Yeah, that's so, so I, true. Like, I just, this is what I mean by it's perplexing because, like, she literally became an anti-feminist just to hate on, like, black women. Like, she literally said something that actually is completely counterproductive to everything she's done just to come for black women. It's so weird.
0: Yeah, and the main thing I thought, and maybe this will give some context, at least from my perspective on, you know, Campion's comments, Some listeners may not know much about Campion because this is the first film that she made in over a decade. But throughout the 90s and 2000s, she was this really prominent voice uh, in film. And in fact, there's actually a lot of film scholarship about Campion, specifically looking at sexism in the industry. And she's often, you know, the example taken to see how a woman has risen above that and struggled against that and has actually managed to be a real filmmaker in an industry that is really difficult to be a woman filmmaker. So you could say that, like, Campion was championed (laughs) within film discourse and, yeah, pun intended. But my feeling is that with this comment, maybe she almost has got, like, caught up in this narrative that has been constructed around her, that she is this important woman voice and she's almost, like, been caught up in the discourse that has been thrown upon her and she feels like she has to live up to this narrative and then she feels compelled to make this sort of comment. That's sort of what how I see it. You
1: know? I feel like that's a little too charitable to her, you in think, my opinion. Yeah? Sure, because like I, I think I think you're right in the sense that she's gotten caught up in a narrative of like being this face of feminism, and that is something that she wants to maintain. But I think it's maybe a little bit too charitable to be like, oh, she said it to keep up with it. I think she said it to actively make other women look bad. Like, it wasn't about making herself look better. It was about making other women look worse. And I think that what she was doing there was gatekeeping feminism. Like, she wanted to make it really clear in that moment that what those women do is not groundbreaking for women in the way that what she does is groundbreaking for women. Like, it was what a lot of white women do to women of color and specifically to black women when they feel threatened in their feminist space, like they create an identity for themselves in feminism in a way that like maybe was once radical or whatever, but it becomes like, it becomes identity politics. It becomes less about what they're doing and more about like wanting to have a reputation for being progressive. Mm. And now I think people are really starting to shift their attention to black women because of like, you know, intersectional feminism becoming a buzzword and like media as a whole beginning to fetishize black women more than it like hates them. And I think that she's just like, honestly, just threatened by the success of black women. Like I think for her, it's realizing that she's losing relevance, but I don't think like I'm not sympathetic to it because I don't think it's like a moment of like sympathetic insecurity for her. I think it's like a bit like mean, like it's a bit vindictive almost like it's I can't let these women take away my label as feminist, and it's so toxic like this is why so many women of color don't identify as a feminist and honestly this is why i like lately really kind of don't either like i just say i'm an anti-capitalist because it's implied if i'm an anti-capitalist that i you know oppose the exploitation of all people including women But like, I'm just over the feminist label because it's fucking it's people like her that are quote unquote like feminists, and it's just what feminism is. And you know if and the heaps of white women were defending her as well and stuff. And I'm like, you know what? If this is what feminism is, like, I don't really want anything to do with it. (laughs) Like, I'm over it.
0: Yeah, no, I think you're completely spot on. I think that's like exactly what has happened, and it does pose some interesting questions, which I guess is what this podcast, you know, however many episodes we're in so far, has really been about. You know what it means to be a feminist and if this is what feminism is over here then do I really want to be part of that and if I'm not part of that then what am I
1: then what am I exactly I feel like you know I speak to a lot of women of color who just don't give a fuck about the term feminism anymore because it doesn't include them like and we can say all we want about like reclaiming the word and making it what it is but the point is white women actively like control and gatekeep modern day feminism And I'm like, you know what? I don't have the fucking time for this. I'm sure like Serena and Venus Williams are probably just like, oh my God, shut the fuck up. I'm sure they deal with that all the time. But you know what is also really interesting about this is, you know, there's no shortage of think pieces and tweets and stuff that came out to like call out Jane for what this is, which is white feminism. And it's it's racism actually. Like I think we can go a little bit harder on her. Like everyone's like, oh, this is white feminism. And I'm like, That was racist. Like what she did was actually racially motivated. She didn't just single out two famous black women out of everybody else for no reason. Like whether or not she sees herself as a racist or whether or not she actively is one, that act was racist. I wish more people would call it that because I feel like it's kind of being dismissed as just like a silly like comment, which, you know what? That brings me to her apology because her apology was, I can read it to you. I made a thoughtless comment equating what I do in the film world with all that Serena Williams and Venus Williams have achieved. I do not intend to devalue these two legendary black women and world-class athletes. The fact is, the Williams sisters have actually squared off against men on the court and off, and they both have raised the bar and opened doors for what is possible for women in this world. The last thing I would ever want to do is minimize Remarkable Women." I love Serena and Venus. Their accomplishments are titanic and inspiring. Serena and Venus, I apologize and completely celebrate you. The interesting part is she says, I made a thoughtless comment. Mm. But like how thoughtless was it? Because like nothing you say exists in a vacuum. Everything you say is actually informed by your worldview, by the media that you consume, by the thoughts that you have. And like it being thoughtless is a huge part of the problem.
0: Yeah, like. It is a thoughtless comment, but that's sort of the problem because you didn't think and maybe what came out was the way that you see the world and what you believe and the way you see your position in the world.
1: That's what she believes. That's Mm. the point. It was thoughtless because she believes it. That's the key takeaway. And I just think like instead of dismissing these as like thoughtless, we should be really talking about the fact that they're like violent. These are like- violent comments in the sense that they're harmful they push forward an agenda and white women should not be able to get away with making like casually racist comments and then just be like oops slip of the tongue just thoughtless i think you mentioned mitch that people were calling it like an on-screen gaffe or whatever like a, like a verbal typo and not like a sentence that actually has like heaps of implications on how she views the world
0: yeah exactly like i think people just want to see this as something we can look over and i'd be curious to know if that is the case, it seems like it will be, you know, there's a lot of talk, like, d- did this comment cost her the Oscar, like, next week. Uh, by the way, she's the second woman to be nominated for Best Director at the Oscars twice, which is just, that is just so wild. That that she's the first, like, I, the Oscars have been going on for so long. She's the first. I mean, yeah. we don't even have to get into that. I think everyone already knows just, like, how sexist and also racist the oscar nominations have been
1: yeah which is why i don't think this will affect her oscar standing at all i do think they give a fuck about black women they obviously don't
0: no but you can't just call this a gaffe
1: well it being thoughtless is why it's important because it exposes that actually like a lot of these white people are walking around thinking that shit so i really hope that like it was a moment of self-reflection, not just for her, but for like a lot of white women. Like I think they don't realize that anti-racism is an active effort they should be taking every second of every day. You will constantly have racist thoughts because you live under white supremacy, but like it is your responsibility to be unlearning those every single day. And when you do slip up to not be dismissing them as thoughtless comments and instead saying an apology where it's like, yeah, I realize now that these were the, you know, implications of what I said and that's really fucked up it's fucked up that I had that thought and I'm I'm still learning how to unlearn my racism. Like that would have been good enough for me, I think, but this apology didn't really do it for me because it was like, you can't dismiss it as thoughtless, even if it was. Anyway, we can move on to today's topic, which will actually be past the Leah in Mitch talking. In a time travel for you but I'll (laughs) give it a little introduction so we are going to reshare our explainer on eco-fascism because as you all know the election is coming up and so politics have ramped up a lot some political arguments have ramped up a lot right now most of them are fucking ridiculous I'm pretty sure I read an article a few days ago about Scott Morrison like trying to politicize Anthony Albanese's weight loss
0: I did not see Did you see that?
1: Because, uh, like, Albo just, like, lost a lot of weight. And Scott Morrison literally was like, see, like, Albanese, doesn't know who he is. He's trying to change. I know who I am. The same, you know, slightly chubby old dad. And I'm not trying to change who I am for anyone. Has politics
0: always been like this?
1: I don't know. I
0: can't tell if, like... I just came of age and it's always been like this or if we are seeing, like, a shift in just, like, the I think like Scott Morrison is
1: particularly bad. Yes, the Trumpification. Yeah. <laughs> I think Scott Morrison is, like, particularly bad. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, he, he's, it's literally getting to the point where he's like, wow, Albanese lost weight. He is not body positive and I am. Like, that's literally where we're at right now with the politics. But on the flip side of that, there's also been – a huge interest now in climate change as a conversation for those of you who aren't so emotionally burnt out that you can't even think of the word without wanting to die. But on top of that, there's like, you know, there's a new, there's a climate independence, which I think like are a new political group who are like backed by some billionaire and a lot of them are just ex liberals. But you know, there's just, there's an interest in moving into like climate discourse. And because of that, I feel like there is a bit of a danger zone of people falling into like eco-fascist politics Because they appear literally anywhere there are white people and environmentalism in the same conversation. Like, it's just inevitable. So listen to this episode and find out if the politics you may have accidentally been consuming are actually eco-fascist.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like even just recently we have to continually call people out for being you know eco-fascists or have to explain it to people so, yeah at
1: least once a week so
0: clearly the entire world has not yet listened to this episode so i think <laughs> every Shocking. week every week we should just be replaying this one until the message gets across
1: yeah there's too many eco-fascists around so i hope you guys let's something new for those of you who haven't heard it already and for those of you who have heard it already enjoy listening to us again lol So I feel like we should start this discussion with what ecofascism actually is. It's kind of basically when environmentalism meets white supremacy, racism, misogyny, and genocide, but I think Weiss has a really good description. So Weiss describes ecofascism as an ideology which, quote, blames the demise of the environment on overpopulation, immigration, and overindustrialization problems that followers think could be partly remedied through the mass murder of refugees in Western countries. Now, I know that sounds really drastic, uh, but ecofascism isn't just about murdering refugees for the sake of the planet. Uh, Like the quote says, overpopulation, immigration, and overindustrialization are problems that seem fairly non-controversial when you initially bring them up. Uh, And ecofascism kind of takes these issues and then... Deems the solution to them being like the eradication of like racial identities or communities of people of color. The ideas of ecofascism are rooted in this idea that humans are to blame for the demise of the planet, but specifically, the humans they're referring to are marginalized groups, typically working class people of color. Iggy fascism blames this demise on the planet with things it associates with marginalized identities, predominantly with like people of color, and then uses environmental politics to justify things like banning immigration or segregating racial societies or punishing and maybe even eradicating ethnic communities or specific races, genocide. It's actually surprisingly common in far right circles, a pretty recent example uh, is the Christchurch shooter who killed over 50 Muslims in a mosque in New Zealand. Uh, his manifesto was actually an eco-fascist manifesto all about how immigrants are destroying the planet.
0: Yeah, the thing about the Christchurch shooter is that he was like an ethno-nationalist. So it's this idea that multiculturalism and immigration is what is destroying the planet and all the races need to uh, segregate themselves uh, and live together. I mean, the name of his manifesto, which was the Great Replacement, which I'm not going to uh, humor describing what that is, but it's essentially a Jewish conspiracy. So just classic Nazi shit.
1: Yeah. But the point is, ecofascism is rooted in this idea that immigrants and people of color and poor people and other marginalized groups, they are the reason that we are having a climate crisis and it is through some form of eradication or punishment or separation from these groups that we will save ourselves and the planet. It is like climate action that is just rooted in genocide pretty much. Something I specifically wanted to talk about was this idea at the moment of overpopulation as racist Uh, Because it doesn't sound racist at first. I know it doesn't. But it kind of comes up a lot all the time. Like a really good example was during COVID. Uh there were people saying that COVID was like a good thing because all these mass killings are preventing overpopulation and that actually like it's kind of a blessing disguise. Like, I know it's really sad, but it's gonna be good ultimately for Mother Nature. Look at all these, you know, new animals that are coming out of the forest now because we're isolating, nature is healing, hashtag humans are the virus. Like that all that all those ideas around overpopulation are actually like quite problematic. And the reason for that is because there is an identification of overpopulation, people of color and climate. There's this quote from a Teen Vogue article, Love Teen Vogue, uh, that says, if you look at where there continues to be the highest levels of population growth, it's the poorest parts of the world with the lowest carbon footprints. But when that conversation immediately moves the discussion to overpopulation, we're changing the subject from unsustainable overconsumption by the rich to the procreation habits of the poor. And that is a very political decision. I love this quote. And I think it really kind of gets to the heart of what the problem is with eco-fascist ideas like overpopulation and immigration and why they are racist. Because we shift our attention from the actual root causes of climate disaster, like capitalism, like fossil fuel companies, like just all the shit that the rich are up to constantly and their overconsumption to like, How many babies a Somalian family is having? And, you know, like the amount of pollution that this particular Indian family is putting out there and how many children us as women decide to have.
0: Exactly. It sort of displaces the blame from these sort of abstract uh, systemic factors and it allows you to target an individual material group uh, and be like, you know, these are the reason that the environment's collapsing.
1: Yeah. it's these ideas of instead of actually looking at how these issues have come to play in like a society that is built on like capitalism and profits and greed. We just blame the poor and the marginalized because it's easy to blame them. It is like, it is some Nazi shit. (laughs) Like, you know, I mean, it it ultimately leads to genocide. Like if we're going to, if we're going to blame an entire class of people, like a racial class of people or a lower class of people for the climate disaster, then inevitably we kind of come to the solution that if we eradicate them, we eradicate
0: the problem and this is actually becoming so prevalent now and i'm seeing this sort of discourse everywhere and, and some more straight up racist than others uh, i remember some kid from my high school who straight up just became like a fucking fascist before i blocked him on facebook i saw him sh- saw him sharing a meme which was like uh, a map which is sort of uh, segmented by the amount of pollution from each country and of course india uh, had the highest uh i think uh, pollution whereas you know so-called western countries had much lower pollution and he was using this as sort of not a racist thing apparently but you know we need to look at these countries and why potentially they are polluting so much and why they are destroying our environment whereas the civilized western countries uh, are the example that these countries should be following and we'll get into why that is like absolutely absurd and idiotic but
1: Well, it's just like these ideas of like the West is clean and good and modern and we're the ones trying to build the technology to save the planet and we're the ones who care about the planet and we're coming up with all these sustainable alternatives to things like plastic bags and plastic straws and fast fashion and it's these dirty poor immigrants that just have to use their plastic bags and they just have to drive these old cars that spout all this CO2 and they're the ones that are responsible for X, Y, Z thing that all all these old school practices that they keep doing, which is going to destroy the planet. They keep having kids. They keep overbuying all these things. They keep shopping at, far. you know, it's just.
0: Yeah, it's like I use my keep cup as a learned uh, middle class individual while these uneducated brown people are destroying the planet with their ignorance. It's like it's yeah. really fucked up stuff. It's just neo-colonial ideas.
1: Yeah, exactly. But
0: anyways, we'll get into yeah well- a bit later.
1: I guess, I mean, part of the reason that we're bringing up these eco-fascist ideas is because they are becoming, like Mitch said, very prevalent, but not just in right-wing circles. Like, eco-fascism is actually starting to rear its ugly head in a... Well, I'm not going to say starting because it's probably been around for a while, but in left-wing circles and specifically in circles that we occupy, which is making me very uncomfortable. I'm seeing a lot of kind of ideas around like overpopulation and scarcity of resources and like child rearing or birthing in left-wing circles that sounds suspiciously like ecofascism to me.
0: Yeah, exactly. Where the sort of definition that we gave a few minutes ago about ecofascism is very apparently racist and it's sort of unambiguously fascist.
1: Yeah, like no shit genocide is bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: But the way that we're seeing it, like you said, rear its ugly head in some leftist circles is far more pervasive and in a way more dangerous because it's racist implications are not as obvious.
1: Yeah, it's far more insidious this way. Uh, so I think I'm going to get into some of these less extreme eco-fascist kind of examples that are popping up in our circles. A really big one is consumerism and ideas around consumerism because there is a lot of placing blame on those who, you know, do things like buying fast fashion, like I just mentioned, or have, not having a keep Cup or whatever, that like often... It just incidentally, well, people think it's incidentally, but it inherently ends up targeting the poor and the marginalized who don't actually have access to a lot of sustainability practices because they're not the most accessible thing. Um, They are in some ways, but if we're going to talk about things like buying from more expensive but better for the environment brands as opposed to cheap fast fashion like Kmart or Cotton On, like some things are less or such more accessible. And there's still a lot of blaming the poor and marginalized for overconsumption, for the creation of rubbish and litter and waste, which is actually just false. Because like I mentioned in the quote earlier, it is these like highly populated, more marginalized groups that tend to have the lowest carbon footprint. Uh, but there's another quote I want to bring up from Teen Vogue again uh, that says, While it's true human consumption harms the environment, ecofascists, Place the blame exclusively on the marginalized because consumerism produces massive amounts of garbage, and ecofascists incorrectly blame poor people, typically of color, for using plastic bags and other cheap disposable products, often without pointing to the damage done by major polluting corporations like those in the fossil fuel industry. This relates to conversations around sustainability that I'm seeing in a lot of kind of middle class, white, left wing circles because sustainability is important, but that's not it. That's not where the activism ends. In fact, that's not even where the activism starts. (laughs) Like, there are so many ways that we can end climate change where I'm not stressed about plastic straws. I try to avoid them, but, like, it's I'm not a bad person for using them and it's not something we should be really moralizing for, like, several reasons. And I guess the most important part of that discussion is, like, who are you blaming when you talk about certain uh, factors to climate change? Like when you talk about things like plastic straws and plastic bags and overconsumption, who are you talking about? Are you talking about working class people that just buy shit? Like, is this a conversation where we're talking about the dumb, uneducated, ignorant, kind of poor person who do- who isn't politically aware? Or are you talking about the rich who overconsume, who have these massive fucking mansions that use up God knows how much water on their lawns? Are we talking about fossil fuel companies? Are we talking about the ruling class? Who are we talking about when you have these sustainability blame conversations? Because some of them are icky. Some of them are icky and they kind of miss the point. Like, sustainability is a practice that has been created in response to capitalism, which is overproducing things. It is not something that is curing the issue. It's a response we have against an overabundance of resources being chucked at us constantly. There is so much trash, not because we bought it, but because capitalists are making it. They're creating demand for things that we don't need demand for because that is how capitalism functions. There is this constant need to produce new things in the hopes of chasing profit. It is not the individual that is to blame for those things. And I think that's really important in conversations around sustainability. And especially because like, You and I are making no impact on the planet. It is fossil fuel companies predominantly. There is actual stats. There's a Guardian article, which I'll link in the sources, that was released about a study where it basically found out that over 70% of the, the global emissions in the world are from 100 companies, all of which are fossil fuel companies. This is all fossil fuels, fracking, logging, mining. I mean, the US Army is one of the biggest polluters in the world as well. And even what, with what Mitch said before about, like, oh, these, you know, southeast countries with their high pollution rates, like, those pollution rates are because the West outsources our production to those countries and it's still our waste we just we just take our shit over there and do it and then we're like see the west is so clean we just dump our shit in other places
0: exactly and it's like it's their production that is exported for our consumption it's our demand in a lot of these relatively affluent western countries that these countries like china india etc are actually economically dependent on our consumption And we outsource our production to there. So we don't have all the production in our country. We give it to them. And then also we make them dependent on our consumption, which is then in a positive feedback loop, just worsening the situation.
1: Exactly. Like, I mean, to be fair, I don't think that even if we, like, I think if all of us just decided to stop buying something, I don't think that would really affect its, actual production that much because capitalism just makes shit supply and demand is a myth we know this from the random shit you see online that you're like no way anyone wants this or is buying it but they probably aren't we just get told i was actually you know i'm gonna go a slight tangent i was having this conversation with mitch about these new like popping like fidgety the fidget, poppers the or fidget pop. i don't know like they're called so many different things but there's essentially supposed to be like a replacement for bubble wrap these like little silicon or plastic things in the shapes of like unicorns or whatever where they have these little bubbles and you pop them like bubble wrap and i swear i saw this like once in like a paid sponsored post on instagram like the meme pages were getting paid to by like wish or whatever with these like a random obscure item that nobody wants or cares about but like Because they just paid to have ads everywhere, it made it seem like everybody had one of these, which made people start buying them because there was this assumption that, oh, if everybody has one of these, there must be something of worth to it. So I'm just going to buy one. Like, capitalism just creates demand where there is none. None of us wanted this thing. Nobody asked for it. There was no demand for this thing. They just made it and then convinced us that we wanted it.
0: Yeah, and thinking of sustainability, I wouldn't be surprised if the people making these fidget poppers suggest that, this is a sustainable alternative to the sort of the, the waste of popping bubble wrap. But the thing is, is that bubble wrap has a fucking function, it has a <laughs> purpose. Like, you can use bubble wrap and then also just enjoy it. You don't need to make these like uh, external, unnecessary fucking silicon.
1: That's poppers. like green capitalism for you, though. Yeah,
0: and that's the thing. It's about, as, as we're talking about here, capitalism, I mean, at least we believe, obviously has the role in this unsustainable overproduction and uh, sort of hegemonic uh, overconsumption as because we are convinced that this is what we need to do to be to achieve the good life, to be happy. But the thing with uh, keep cups or uh, reusable bags, which are all great things, I'm not criticizing, but it's, it's that this sort of green consumption doesn't challenge capitalism. So if it doesn't challenge capitalism and capitalism is the problem, then what's really going on?
1: Yeah, green capitalism is just capitalism evolving to be sexy. Like, it doesn't actually stop things like fossil fuels. It doesn't actually stop the things that are destroying the planet. We could, like, stop having coffee cups forever and our carbon amounts will still increase. Because it's about, like, actually how capitalism is functioning. And it's about fossil fuels. I feel like our key priority right now is probably fossil fuels. Another conversation that I'm seeing pop up a lot, particularly, again, for middle-class white women, I guess in my circles, uh, is the conversation about not having children uh, to avoid contributing to the climate crisis. There's this idea that, like, I'm not going to have kids because I'm not going to exacerbate climate change. I'm not going to take up more resources. I'm making the decision to not do that. There's this kind of uncomfortable moralizing of having children, which kind of has this holier than thou moral high horse vibe with like the i'm not going to use up resources i'm not going to be selfish and have a child and the idea of making having children selfish the idea of like this is the correct decision to make if you care about the planet and if you don't care about the planet and you have kids well you're just selfish is problematic and also rooted in eco-fascism this idea that like overpopulation is a problem, like we've mentioned earlier, is rooted in ecofascism because overpopulation isn't a problem, uh, and there are many studies to prove it. And it's just you know something that's used to cull uh, people of colour's communities. But also, this idea of lack of resources is false. Scarcity is a myth. It's gone. It ended when capitalism reached this, you know, heightened level of productivity. We have enough food, water, medicine, clothes, everything to look after every single person on this planet, even at the rates that it's growing. We actually do. The problem is these resources are hoarded by the West and destroyed by capitalism over profits. Like we have all this excess food that is destroyed rather than distributed because it's cheaper to just destroy it. Like, we're in a time of, like, unprecedented greed and power with the West and with the the ruling class. And that is what's to blame with the fact that some communities don't have resources. Not because those communities have too many kids. You know, it's almost victim-blaming, I feel. This idea that, like, oh, well, you know what? We just shouldn't have kids. Like, oh, you're worried about sustainability? How about you just don't have kids? Like, how about you stop being selfish and just don't have kids? This ain't it. This ain't it. Because... It is predominantly like people of color or like racial communities that have more children. Like the birth rate, the increasing birth rate and growth rate of these communities, it's often like brown and black communities. So when you talk about moralizing having children, what you are doing is actually placing blame on ethnic communities for reproducing. And that is a very slippery slope into genocide.
0: I've never seen an overpopulation argument which didn't eventually turn into straight up racism and ecofascism. I don't yeah. think it can really be possible because the thing is, is that if you want to talk about overpopulation, you inevitably talk about countries which have, you know, a higher birth rate c- per capita. And then you get into discourses of how can you control these women's bodies?
1: Yeah. How, how do we you... stop them from having birth?
0: Exactly. And um,
1: then that leads into forced realization, the control of women's bodies, forced contraception. Yeah, it's,
0: another, it's another form of power over people's bodies. Biology is another form of neocolonialism. It just reinforces the idea of the civilized West and the uncivilized, un- uneducated women of color in the global South.
1: Exactly. And also, like I do want to point out, being child-free is fine. And I'm not against being child-free. And to be honest, like there are more and more and more reasons every single day to not have kids. They're expensive. Women are realizing that we are more than just birthing machines. You know, There are so many reasons, very valid reasons, to not have children. But the overpopulation myths and ideas around resource scarcity are not one of them. Like there there are concerns you can have about climate change that inform not wanting to have kids. You can talk about your fear for like the planet and the future. And maybe you fear that like the planet won't be habitable in like... 15 years time and that's why you don't want to have a kid maybe you fear like what they'll have access to all those things are okay reasons that's fine but to just be like i'm not going to have a kid because i'm not going to steal resources i'm not going to use up resources i'm not going to contribute to overpopulation that is rooted in ecofascism because the assumption is women who do that are selfish which actually leads into misogyny as well because also when it comes to children and reproduction we only ever think about the woman like it takes two people to have a baby (laughs) but that conversation is not often how do we moralize women for getting pregnant it's women's faults for getting pregnant it's a woman's fault for having so many children for you know not being either you know quote-unquote careful there's all, all this moral blame on having too many kids all of this is also just misogyny because women have the right to not have kids just as much as they have the right to have kids and we should have no interest in controlling women's bodies that way and we should have no interest in controlling people's birth rates
0: and the thing is, is that there is a hundred other reasons and a hundred other issues for climate change, for the current situation that we're in, that come before overpopulation. And the thing is, is that overpopulation, if anything, is a consequence of other issues affecting climate change. Uh, doing research for this, I found a really great academic article called Overpopulation Discourse, Patriarchy, Racism, and the Spectre of Ecofascism by Jordan Dayett and Cassidy Thomas and in it they allude to a lot of the sort of transnational uh, non-profit organizations or prominent environmentalists in the mainstream and these include people like Al Gore or Bill Gates for the the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the thing is is that they always point back to the growing population rates of Africa, how in however many decades time it's going to surpass you know, China, India, and how this is really something that needs to be stopped because apparently it's overpopulation.
1: we got to stop them from breeding. Exactly,
0: it's overpopulation almost in its uh, isolation that is causing these issues. But what they rightly suggest, uh, these academics, is that what the proposals of these NGOs do is that they make women of colour in the global south the agent primarily responsible for making change in our present reality subtly implying that they share a considerable part of the blame. But in fact, the ecological crisis are not the fault of the global south, nor humanity as a whole, and stating so allows culpable agents to shock responsibility. In reality, our current civilizational crises are the result of intersecting and mutually reinforcing structures of patriarchy, racism, coloniality, capitalism, Eurocentric modernity, etc., etc., and it's true. Instead of framing overpopulation in the global South as an issue of undereducation, ignorance, and I guess uncivilized people is what they imply, it's an issue of coloniality, of capitalism, of patriarchy, misogyny, et cetera, et cetera. They're all intertwined and we need to be thinking about this structurally instead of just like giving these women greater access to contraception and jobs, you know?
1: And it's also just, like, so colonial and, and capitalist as well because, like, the answer was put women in the workforce. Like, let's stop these women from having babies because we don't want more people of colour. Let's just put them in the workforce and exploit them as labour instead. <laughs> like, just, like, like even their, even the way they've approached overpopulation, which isn't even a problem, but they've approached this, quote-unquote, problem with, uh, let's control these women's reproductive cycles and then let's exploit their physical labour. That will solve the problem. This is just, it's just so... It's almost funny how like textbook capitalism it is, right? And just colonial as well, because it is this colonizer ideology that leads to ideas around the control of population. Like we're not rats that are being bred in some scientist's lab. You know, we don't, the fact that these like Western people, countries, organizations, whatever, like think they even have a say in what is the acceptable amount of people to exist in a nation is fucked up.
0: Yeah, and coming back to that academic article, I think they correctly suggest that ecofascist rhetoric is most prevalent in quote, the more moderate, techno scientific, green capitalist environmentalists who actively push policies that place the responsibility to act on some of the world's most historically marginalized populations, while refusing to engage in the root causes of the twenty first century's crises of civilization.
1: So, I know ecofascism sounds, you know, so incredibly right wing, but it's actually surprisingly common everywhere, including in the left. Like I said, with conversations around like sustainability or climate change or the moralizing of having kids or whether or not we want to have kids and the women's right to not have kids, like all of it, it actually kind of can fall into ecofascism. And I feel like we need to be really vigilant and we really need to make an effort to spot it because it's hard to see it's hard to find especially when we associate it with nazis we're not exactly expecting one of our mates to like casually bring up ecofascism in a conversation but they do and it happens and i see it happen all the time and it like i feel like people mean well and they like just want to save the planet and they just want to not feel guilty for their consumption but we really need to be vigilant and careful because ecofascism is kind of everywhere and the easiest way to spot it is just to think who is being blamed for this exactly if, if it's anyone other than like a rich corporate kind of situation or capitalism it's probably ecofascism
0: no i think you're completely right because the thing is is that ecofascism sounds like it would be easy to spot because it's like so apparently racist but the issue is is that almost superficially it can be so convincing because a lot of the talking points stop. I guess, the same way as to what we're saying. But the issue is, is that is who's being blamed? Is it some material marginalized population or is it an abstract systemic structure, which is much harder to pin responsibility on because we need to think sort of conceptually. And that's sort of the issue, uh, even in regards to leftism versus rightism. There's an interesting essay by Felix Guattari, and I won't get into it too much, but he essentially says that Everyone wants to be a fascist because what fascism is incredibly good at is identifying you as an individual and uh, suggesting that all your problems in your world are actually really sort of immediate in a way. It's that if, you're un- if there's underemployment, it's because of immigrants, it's because of uh, multiculturalism, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. Um, Fascism at a very superficial level is really good at explaining all the issues in your life and the thing is, is that us as leftists, we instead want to pin these things on almost abstract ideas like inequality, labor, capitalism, which is far more difficult to convince someone of if they're actually struggling. So- yeah,
1: I feel like fascism and particularly ecofascism has a lot of very convenient answers. Like, yes, here are all your problems. Uh, they're because of immigrants. And here's a really quick and easy way to solve that. We'll just ban immigrants and we'll commit genocide against this group done they're gone eviscerated problem solved like i mean that's obviously me being a bit hyperbolic but the point is they're quite easy in a way they're quite obvious whereas when we talk about like capitalism and abolishing capitalism and abolishing the patriarchy and abolishing white supremacy and all the different ways that we think society is going to be fixed all the different things that cause our problems yeah you're right it kind of requires a bit of like conceptual thinking bit of marxism bit of theory which is difficult for like a lot of people. And it is
0: difficult and I don't want to underplay that.
1: Yeah, so I get, I get how fascism arises and especially understand how eco-fascism appears in conversations because it is convincing and a lot of the left uh, falling into ecofascism as well it comes up all over the place but I just yeah I guess the reason we're doing this episode is because I'm seeing a few of you have these conversations and I kind of want to nip it in the bud <laughs> and I just want everybody to be like more critical and think when you start talking about issues that relate to things like overpopulation or immigration or anything to do with like climate change even like just think about who the offending party in your conversation is if it's anybody that's an individual it's problematic because <laughs> it's never about what one person is doing. It's about like the economic and power structures of our society.
0: Cool. Well, thanks for listening to that reshare. I think now's a good time to talk about our sponsors for the episode, which is not you guys, not our Patreons. Cause again, this is a reshare. So of course we won't be uh, charging for this one on Patreon, but we still appreciate all the support of course. So thank you so much. For sticking with us.
1: Of course, we love you guys. Uh, if you want more information on this topic or you want to have a chat to us, you can DM me on Instagram at Saliha Official
0: or follow my Instagram at miscellania for discussions around film, books, and music and talk to me more about this episode as well if you'd like.
1: You can also email us at Here's the podcast at gmail.com. And also, if you have any comments or suggestions that you want to add to the discussion in other ways, you can email us at Here's the podcast at gmail.com. And please include your name, pronounce, and any other important info. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.